Welcome everybody back into the extremely riveting NBA podcast. I'm Carson Brever, and as always, alongside me is Carvel Taft. And today, we're going to be looking back on the decade of the 2010s and talking about the most overrated and underrated players. We just uh, last week did our all impressive, all or all surprising, all disappointing teams in that all NBA format, and we're going to be doing the same things with the most overrated and underrated players of the decade. So let's start with the most underrated. Carvel, who's your first guy? My first guy is mentioned on a lot of my lists, on a lot of my positive lists. My first guy is David Lee, um, who's, who was my original favorite player of all time on um, the early Steph Curry Golden State Warriors teams. But um, the reason why he made my decade team, first of all, the first year of this decade, which I counted as 2009-10, um, really helped him out. It, it was an all-star year for him. He scored 20 points, uh, 12 rebounds. Um, that, that was his last year on the Knicks, and then he went to Golden State. But for me, the, the thing that I wanted to define this list was people that I think are going to be forgotten, that shouldn't be forgotten. I think David Lee, he's a two-time All-Star. He's one of the most surprising All-NBA selections that you'll ever find. Um, and he's an NBA champion. He was, for his entire career, a beloved teammate. He was so fun to watch. He always gave teams surge of energy when they needed um, the Knicks and Warriors were three points better with Lee on the floor, peaking in 2013-14, which isn't even the Warriors' peak years, obviously, and they were 11.2 points better with Lee on the floor. Um, he won that championship. He in, in the stretch of the decade, he averaged 18.7, 10.4, and 3.1 on 52% from the field. Oh, no, that, that this is the first half of the decade, so from 2009-10 to 2013-14. Um, and he's a guy that will probably be forgotten in five years, but he had... Oh, wonderful career. I thought he was a joy to watch. I thought he was a joy um, teammate. And he rounded out his career with some solid bench years with um, Dallas and Maver- and the Dallas Mavericks and the Spurs. Um, so, yeah, I, I love to mention him whenever I can. So he's not forgotten, and he was my first guy. Yeah, so David Lee was one of the great post scorers of that generation. And I always remember one of the coolest stories about him was that he was righty for – uh, this is basically, I don't remember until what age it was, but then at one point he broke his right arm and he just became lefty and super skilled, uh, a guy that I think was probably an underrated passer out of the post and just a really good basketball player. And I do agree that I think he will be forgotten. I think that his prime years in New York have already largely been forgotten and he's remembered as more of um, a role player on those Warriors teams, even though on that first playoff team, I think that there's a bit of a, you know, I mean, Steph's the best player, but it's not by all that much yeah. over David Lee. Yeah. Predating the Draymond-Clay era, yeah. he was pivotal to those And teams. Lee was totally the heart of the team before Draymond. Yeah. Um, yeah, and one more thing I just wanted to touch about on my list. You won't really see a typical star on either of my lists just because it was very hard for me to call any star underrated or overrated mm-hmm. just because how much pub- publicity they get in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were certain guys that I was almost certain would be on both my lists, but then... I decided that it's hard to underrate or overrate someone with eight plus all stars yeah. or whatever these guys are. So um, that that's why I name like David Lee, who you might not traditionally think when you're talking about these lists, because people like the you know the big players mm-hmm. um, made my list. So that's interesting because we deviated a little bit there. I wanted to go off the board and not focus on stars as much, but when you're looking at the decade in totality, like there are a bunch of guys that I think about right now that I would consider underrated. But you, for the most part, are only underrated for so long. So I do think that David Lee is a good example of a guy who will probably be forgotten too soon. But for the most part, I was thinking about players who will have lasting legacies and who have just, uh, who I'm not sure are given the full credit they are due, even though, yes, as stars, they're talked about a lot. And my first guy who meets that billing is Damian Lillard because he excelled for this entire decade. He comes in the league in 2012, wins Rookie of the Year, Averaged for the decade, 24, 4.2, and 6.5. He was one-time first-team All-NBA, two-time second-team, one-time third-team. And I think that when you're talking about some of the most glaring omissions from an all-star team in history, the first guy you think of is Damian Lillard. Modern day, maybe Devin Booker, but Dame is the guy who did it first. In 15, 16, 25, 4, and 7 on a playoff team, not an all-star. 16, 17, 27, 5, and 6 on a playoff team, not an all-star. He, going into this year, when obviously they got destroyed by injuries to Zach Collins and Rodney Hood and Yusuf Nurkic before the season even started and just decimated what was already a pretty mediocre supporting cast, he had made the playoffs in six straight years. And I think that that's a testament to Dame's greatness because there are a lot of guys who put up big numbers, 
But every roster, every year, I look at the Blazers roster and I think that's not a playoff team. And I always count them out and they always overachieve. And the best example of that is last year where I expected them to be basically a 500 ball club and they win 53 games, I believe, and end up fighting their way to the Western Conference Finals. He just carries under-talented teams. He's incredibly clutch. He's incredibly dynamic as a scorer. And I think you can look back to some of the accomplishments he has. The 15-16 team, they win a playoff series. Al Farouk is their clear third best player. There's just, there's only so many guys in the NBA that can do that. He has a plus 7.2 on-off differential for his career, which is really alone in a tier for point guards behind just Steph Curry and Chris Paul, who I think are probably the undisputed top two of this decade, if you know what you're talking about. So I think that, yes, obviously all these stars get a ton of attention. Dame has some signature moments that will immortalize him in NBA history. But I do think sometimes we get caught up in the day-to-day operations and we can forget that this is a guy who year after year has delivered has overachieved and his team has overachieved with him. And yes, he's been recognized, but not as much as he should have been, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with that. I think we just met a little bit of a different criteria. One thing to just touch on, like, you might not describe modern day Dame as underrated, but the reason that he may not be underrated now is because he was underrated before. Mm-hmm. And then the media and the fans got into it so much that it brought more attention yeah. to him. And now, now we're at a point where Dame's going to be an all-star for the rest of his prime. Um, knock on wood for no injuries, but there was there was that stretch at 16-17 where he didn't make all-star teams on winning teams when he's putting up ridiculous numbers. Clearly their best player. The, the on-off stats have always been fantastic. So I, I totally agree. Dame is in proportion to superstars. Uh, why massively underrated, um, especially when you look at his peers, like someone like Russell Westbrook, who is uh, uh, winning accolades like the MVP award mm-hmm. and getting a lot more press and media attention compared to Lillard, who I think you and I would both say has probably been the better player year in and year out. Um, Yeah, I completely agree. And that is part of the criteria for me is you compare them to their peers and he's never gotten attention like Kyrie Irving, who has the signature moments. He's never gotten attention like Russell Westbrook, who has the flashy triple-double stat. But if I'm picking one of those three guys to go out and win me basketball games, Damian Lillard is my guy. So who is your second on the underrated team? My second guy changed changed recently. Um, I originally had Luol Deng, and I thought about it and realized I don't like Luol Deng. And mm-hmm. the reason I put Luol Deng is because people say Luol Deng is underrated, but I've never liked Luol Deng. Um, so I changed it. I changed it to Goran Dragic, um, who's a guy I've always liked and I've always respected. I believe he should be a two-time All-Star. Um, Goran Dragic has been in the league for pretty much... His career has been this decade. He, he came into the league in 2008-09, so one year before before met my criteria. But since then, I think he's been fantastic. Not only is he very fun to watch, but he's put up numbers. He's scoring 14.6 points, um, 3.1 rebounds, 5 assists on 46.5% from the field, um, and 36.4% from three in, in this decade. He was an all-star in 2017-18 with Miami. But I think a lot of people thought he should be an all-star the year before when he scored 20 points on 47.5% shooting and 40% from three. Modern-day uh, Drogic is very fun to watch. He's an explosive bench player. Uh, he's a leader. And he's someone that, again, he's not going to be discussed in the future. Um, if he doesn't play a critical role on a championship team, which he probably won't. You know, he's 33. He's um, exiting his prime here. Miami doesn't look like a real contender this year. Uh, he's probably going to be forgotten, and I and I don't think that's fair for the type of work that he's put in. Um, he's he's been critical on some winning teams, on on um, on on some winning basketball, and I think he's a I think he's a really really solid player. And I want to again another guy that I wanted to recognize. I think the Dragic is an awesome choice. He was one of the first guys I thought about, and I ended up favoring, as I mentioned, the stars guys, the star guys who I feel like will have more of a lasting discussion of their legacy. But Dragic is a guy who at every stop has produced. You look back to his time in Phoenix where he's averaging 20 and 6, just didn't get discussed a lot on that team. And then when you do look at the evolution in the second half of his career in Miami, he's been exceptional and he's consistently contributed to winning. Hasn't been on a losing team in a long time. And I think that he's one of those guys who just controls the game so well, has such an understanding of the pace that he wants to play at and can really score and create for others and just do it all really well on the basketball court. 
And my second guy is really an inflated version of that and one of the best to ever do it, and that's Chris Paul. And it sounds weird to have Chris Paul on any underrated list. I would say it probably sounds even weirder than having Damian Lillard. But I think that there are some stats that show that he still is not viewed as favorably as he should be. And I think that we see that when, you know, ESPN just comes out with a list where they have him below guys like Allen Iverson and Steve Nash, which I just don't think is in any way uh, reasonable. I do think that there are certain people who rate Chris Paul properly, some who probably overrate him because if you're looking at it analytically and purely statistically, he's one of the best point guards, you know, one of the three or four best point guards to ever play the game probably. I don't think he's quite there. But when you look at his accolades on the decade, he's three-time first-team All-NBA, two-time second, one-time third-team, six-time first-team All-Defense, one-time second. And he has this reputation as a guy who's underperformed in the playoffs, which I think is ridiculous. You can look through, and the only thing that's ever really kept them down is injuries. He um, you know, won at least one playoff series in five separate postseasons, so he was consistently having team success. And if you project his individual win totals from every season, from every team, as if he played every game, so if he never got hurt, if Chris Paul played every game, the average team he was on for the decade would have won 55.7 games per year. That is on four different teams. That includes this Oklahoma City team, which is on pace to win about 53 games, which no one expected. People thought that they were going to be the type of team that would tank and would throw in the towel, and instead they have excelled and are currently ahead of the Houston Rockets in the standings. And I just think, you look at his time on the Rockets, speaking of that, they were 50-8 and in 2017-18 when he played. And in the playoffs that year, he was great. He was a guy that I think terrified everyone as an isolation scorer. And it was incredible how he was able to excel in that role too, where it wasn't just ball dominant Chris Paul as a traditional point. Harden had at least half the ball handling duties on that team. And CP3 was able to go out and be a guy that was score first after being one of the greatest passers of all time. And that being maybe his defining skill set beforehand. He had 41, seven and 10 to close out Utah in the second round of those playoffs. And his average, I mean, his scoring increases by over two points per game in the playoffs, and his efficiency is still incredible. So I just think that that reputation doesn't make sense. But if you look at his bad playoff moment, the really bad one, 2015, when they blew the 3-1 to lead over the Rockets, he had 31 in Game 6, 26-10 in Game 7. I just don't think that falls on him. And just one last stat that I think is remarkable as far as how he impacts winning. He played for the Clippers for six years. He had a plus 14.5 on-off average, which is better than any individual player in basketball this year, better than Giannis, better than LeBron, and it's his six-year average. There are years where he's up by plus 20, so I think he's a guy that is just genius on both sides of the ball, has lost a little bit of athleticism as this decade has progressed, but I think we still see he's an all-NBA-level guy in Oklahoma City, and he just wins at every single stop, and there are certain guys who are like that. And it really means a lot, in my opinion, when you can win no matter where you are and no matter who's around you. So I know that you love Chris Paul. I know a lot of basketball people love Chris Paul. But I do think, especially by the more casual NBA fan, where, you know, Westbrook and Kyrie, these are the guys that get talked about more. Chris Paul is just on a different level as a basketball player in totality, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm as big a Chris Paul advocate as anyone. I think the thing with him, people don't understand how fragile a championship is. There are so many little lucky factors that go into winning one. And if you, you don't deserve to be talking about basketball, if you don't think Chris Paul is a guy that could have won a championship in his prime, he absolutely could have. The dominoes just have to fall in the right place. And it happens randomly. Um, It's weird. A lot of the times it doesn't make sense, but most great players get their pay. Eventually Chris Paul didn't. Um, it's something to hold against him. You have to impact winning, but I think people try to pull him back too much for that. When, if you just look at it by a year by year basis, he had a shot so many different times there. There's in re it's in reason many different times that they could have won. If he didn't get hurt or his teammate didn't get hurt, that's not his fault. Um, the only thing with Paul for me again was, you know, I was mad seeing him 40th on mm-hmm. an all time list. Mm-hmm. So I mean, 40th, that's one of the best players to ever pick up a basketball. So for me, and you know, that's not his average. Usually you'll see him 35 to 30 on lists, uh, sometimes even higher. So for me, it was hard. I just, that's why I didn't want to split hairs with Mm -hmm. the all-time guys because, yes, he's traditionally underrated, I guess, um, in the fact that I think people 
you know, obviously people think he's worse than I think he is, mm-hmm. but at the same time, he's still acknowledged as an all-time great. Um, but, I mean, the plus-minus numbers, as you mentioned, are just incredible. He also is the biggest um, the biggest holder of what I, what I call the hopeless factor. When you're just watching basketball and you feel hopeless, and being a Warriors fan, I've had this over and over again with Chris Paul when he has the ball and you just feel hopeless. Yeah. You feel like he's going to get a bucket, and he gets in that pick-and-roll. He starts weaving to spot um, on the right elbow, and you're just like, all right, yeah. we're screwed. There's no way we can defend this, yeah. and the ball's going to go in the bucket. Um, so I love Chris Paul, and I and I like that pick because I like talking about Chris Paul no matter what. Yeah, um, this was really a pro Chris Paul thing because again, he is widely discussed, widely respected. But I just think, especially when you are looking at the broad strokes of NBA fandom, I think he should still be even on another tier. So, who's your third guy? My third guy is Paul Millsap, um, who's a guy I've always liked, and he, you know he's a quiet guy. You you really don't hear much about him. You don't hear much from him, but you rarely hear of a four-time All-Star this little discussed. Um, in a great era of basketball, by the way. From 2010 to this past season, Millsop has averaged 15.5 points, 7.6 rebounds, 2.6 assists, 1.4 steals, and one block a game. That's a really impressive stat line for a guy that's getting out of his prime right now. He shot the ball at uh, 48.5% from the field in this stretch and 34.5% from three. Um, he's found himself on contenders over and over again. He's found himself impacting winning basketball over and over again. Um, teams have been better with him on the court nine out of these 10 years for an average of 5.8 points better. Um, he's been more than solid on defense. He made an all defensive second team in 2016. He was on that. He was perhaps the best player. He was one of the best players on the 60 and 22 Hawks, which were the one season, I believe 2015. Um, and now he's a contributor for the Nuggets who people is he's underrated again. His plus minus stats given in 44 games this year. He's, they're 11.4 points better with Paul Millsap on the court. That's ridiculous. You know, like, and the raw stats might not be there anymore, but, I mean, in the past years, it's almost like he's perfecting just doing the things that he needs to do for his team to win because in the past three, either were eight, in his 70 games played last year, they were 8.6 points better with him on the court. So he's just a guy, he's really solid. He does his job. He's a four-time All-Star. That is, uh, there aren't a lot of people in history that can say that they're a four-time All-Star. And there aren't a lot of those four-time All-Stars that are this little discussed. Um, I think he's really creative how he scores. Uh, he can get buckets in a variety of ways. He, he has a nice post game. He can stretch it out to three. He's obviously good inside. And he will defend anyone you ask him to defend. So Paul Musso my guy because, again, as the trend has been for my list, he's going to be forgotten in 10 years if he doesn't win a championship, and that's not fair. Yeah, I think that Millsap is a great selection. Again, he was one of two guys – unless I'm forgetting anyone, him and Drogic were the first two guys that I thought about for that criteria because I think that he suffers from a bit of the Marcus Gasol syndrome in that Marcus Gasol and Mike Conley were two great players on those Grizzlies teams for a long time. And everyone decided that because Mike Conley didn't quite get the same accolades, he was the incredibly underrated one. And it was drilled in everyone's head so much that Mike Conley is so underrated, so underrated, so underrated, that Marcus Gasol became underrated. I think that happened with Al Horford and Paul Millsap because... With the way Al Horford is talked about, I mean, yes, I get the playmaking, I get the switchability and the defensive intelligence and the fact that he's added the three-point shot. It's not like Al Horford was the clear best guy on those Atlanta teams. There was a serious case to be made for Paul Millsap, and I think that his evolution as a player has been impressive as well. You mentioned Stellar defensively really added a three-point shot as his career's gone on to the point where he's shooting 44% from deep this year. And he's a guy where I've always felt... You can throw it to the post in him, and if I'm the other team, I'm scared. I just feel like he's a guy who finds a way to get buckets when it matters. And yes, the raw numbers are never going to be there. He's never been a 20-point-per-game scorer, but he has won so consistently. If you look at just about every every spot he's been to, even when he's a young guy on that Utah Jazz team, his rookie year, they make the Western Conference Finals. And with Darren Williams, they were really good for a while when he was more of a sixth man. And it's just been so rare that he hasn't been on a good team and he hasn't impacted winning. I think that he is a great choice. So my third guy, and I feel a little weird about this one because I think Paul Millsap is much more underrated overall, but I have Tony Parker. And the reason I have Tony Parker is he's debatably the best player on back-to-back finals teams. He's all NBA second team three straight years from 2011 through 2014. And in the first four playoff runs of the decade for the Spurs, he led them in both points and assists per game. I think that he was an exceptional guy who at his best was a top 10 player in the league. And I think that especially by our generation, 
he gets lumped in with Manu Ginobili too much. It's Tim Duncan, and then it's Manu and Tony Parker. And I just think there was a serious difference at their peaks between Manu and Tony. And especially when you look at on those later teams, where yes, Manu is still a very good contributor, Tony Parker is maybe their best player. And the 2014 finals become the, the Kawhi finals because he won finals MVP because of his defense on LeBron. But... If you're asking me who's the engine of that team offensively, there's no question it's Tony Parker. And yes, Duncan is still borderline all-NBA level at that stage of his career, but he's 37, 38 years old. This isn't 2003 Tim Duncan, who's one of you know maybe the five greatest single-season players ever. Tony Parker was so pivotal to that team's success, uh, and maybe more so than anyone else on those teams. So obviously, he will be remembered in history, and he will be remembered fondly, but I think that I don't know. He just gets lumped in with the supporting cast a little bit too much, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, uh, almost anyone on those first teams, aside from Duncan, could be mentioned in these these conversations. Yeah. My only thing with Parker is you said that he's debatably the best player on, on back-to-back finals teams, and maybe that is debatable, but I think you and I both agree that, that it isn't debatable. I think we, we would both say that Tim Duncan is clearly the best player. So, like, yes, it's debatable, but I don't... I think when you know basketball, you wouldn't say that. He definitely was the offensive engine of yeah. back-to-back finals teams. Um, but, I mean, it, it's hard with Par- it's hard with Parker and Ginobili because it's so hard to project their careers without Tim Duncan. Um, and the one thing I will always remember about Parker is that it is his craft. And mm-hmm. I think that was, from an outsider perspective, something that makes him underrated because he did things that other people literally couldn't do. Yeah. Like, he moved his body in ways that were physically impossible for other people um, and deceived defenders, and it got him buckets. So I think little nuances of the game are definitely underrated, but as a player as a whole, I would probably leave him off my list um, just because it's hard to gauge his meaning to that team. And I'm not saying, again, like you said, it's debatable. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying it wasn't there, but I definitely wouldn't bet that his his meaning was understated. Here's... What I think is the difference between him and a guy like Ginobili, where I agree. I think you can totally debate how Manu Ginobili's career goes if he's in a different situation. I mean, he's a sixth man. Yes, he's one of the best sixth men of all time, but I saw someone the other day say that he's a top five shooting guard of all time. He's just not. He's not on that tier. Tony Parker, I believe, is all NBA no matter where because he had certain things about his game that were unstoppable. He was so quick. He was so crafty. His floater game was ridiculous. I think that that's... You know, I remember as a kid, maybe I was weird about this, but if I ever shot a floater, I, was, I wasn't I was saying, you know, it wasn't Kobe jump shot, but it was a Tony Parker floater. That was his signature move. He had, he had the variety of spin moves down there when he was driving to the rim, and he was just so explosive and a great playmaker. So in a way, I definitely get where you're coming from, and I would agree that he wasn't the best player on those two teams. I do think it was close, though, and I think he's without a question the offensive engine. I just think... You know, when you throw him in with Manu Ginobili on, you know, we don't know how their careers would have gone. I think that that's sort of the reason that I personally have him here, because I think they're on different tiers as individual talents. So let's move on. Who's your fourth all underrated guy? My fourth guy was Zach Randolph. Um, and I thought he he was another guy that had an awesome decade that shouldn't be forgotten. Um, he was the backbone for a team that played in the Western Conference Finals, uh, a catalyst for the awesome grid and grind Grizzlies that we all came to love. He's a two-time All-Star, um, along with being an All-NBA third-team member in 2011. He averaged a pretty efficient 16.6 um, with 9.9 rebounds in the decade. Uh, he never played under 24.5 minutes per game. He uh, looked the type of the player that you love to play with but hate to play against, which is the guys that I love to watch in the league, the guys that everyone should love to watch in the league. Um, even though he's classy off the floor and, and were, was, was said to be a great teammate, um, teams were 3.4 points better with him on the floor this decade, and that doesn't count for his locker room effect, his leadership, the grit that he showed on a day-to-day basis. Um, and he was one of the best players on multiple really good teams and really enjoyable teams. Um, and he, and he's another, you know, he's another guy that we just talked about Memphis, and we don't talk about him. And um, he was a really good player, you know, in 2009-10 on Memphis, he's averaging 20.8 points. He's an all-star. Uh, 48% from the field. In the next year, 20.1 points, 50% from the field. Um, he was really meaningful to those teams. I, no one wanted to play him, you know? Mm-hmm. And when I think of those Memphis teams, I think of Conley, I think of Gasol, and I think of Randolph. 
Um, and I think you could debate just because the market and, and the, their style of play that all three of those guys are going to be perennially underrated for those teams. But Zach Randolph was just someone that I, I don't think that he's going to be remembered in the same light as a Gasol or a Conley. Maybe that's fair because he was definitely a tier below them as players in, in, in their respective primes. But he should be remembered um, because he was really fun to watch. And he was he was another, you know, if I'm going to mention someone like David Lee, I have to mention someone like Zach Randolph. He was someone in that mold. Yeah, this is a great selection, and I'm actually going to change one of my choices to Zach Randolph. And the reason I feel comfortable doing that is I had another Memphis Grizzly from those same teams on this era. I had Marcus Gasol, which I sort of alluded to earlier with the Marcus Gasol syndrome because we talk about how underrated Conley is that Gasol kind of becomes underrated. But I think there was a little bit of inherent bias in my mind there because Gasol and Conley are still such good players. Conley not having the best year. Gasol's raw production is down, but they both impact winning. Well, we'll see if Conley yeah. gets back there. But the thing is, Zach Randolph was probably better than Marcus Saul on those early 2010s yeah. Grizzlies teams that were really winning. And I think that that's something that can get skewed in our minds, especially because there will never be someone who plays like Zach Randolph again. A 6'9 power forward who's just going to bang bodies yeah. in the post forever, that's never going to exist again. But when they upset that Spurs team in 2010-11, Zach Randolph averaged 22-11 and in those postseasons. And then they pushed in that postseason, and then they pushed the Thunder to 7. 12-13, they won 56 games. They, you know, again, won a playoff series. He's averaging over 17-10 and 10 in those playoffs. So I think that this was an instance in which, you know, I underrated a guy that I am now putting on my list. And just hearing that name, it's just weird because we don't think about Zach Randolph in the current, um, in the way that basketball is played right now because he just wouldn't fit. And I don't know if he could adapt, and that's you know a hypothetical that we don't need to get into. But I think he's a great choice for the very reason, you know, part of the reason being that I left him off of my list. Yeah, and I think the one thing that really sent me over with Gasol is he obviously is still a good player, and I think the championship and then and then mm -hmm. the the press he got about the FIBA championship, it kind of I thought he was a little bit overrated at some points because he was I mean his offensive game was so diluted yeah. like he. He really couldn't do much. He was picking and popping for threes. His post game was pretty much, it, it was abysmal in the playoffs. Like, they didn't really want him touching the ball too much. He was literally just there to be a signal caller on defense. Um, and now people are making that midseason transaction the thing that, uh, you know, set them over the edge. For yeah. me, it's more like, no, no one was going to be Kawhi Leonard in that playoffs. Like, I mean, <laughs> save a healthy Warriors team. Yeah. But I, I just don't think Mark Gasol was the dude that, like, pushed them over an edge. Obviously, he helped. Everyone that plays minutes in a championship helps. But... Um, th that's what pushed my decision over the edge because I, I just think that he's definitely, definitely more discussed than Zach Randolph and maybe yeah. not deservingly so. I completely agree. And I would never felt great about his selection. So that's why I was flexible moving it off. So let's get on to your last all underrated guy. Who do you have? My last all underrated guy is by far the guy that I think is the, is the most underrated player in this decade, LaMarcus Soldiers. The media has done him so dirty. LaMarcus has averaged 21-9-2 on 49% from the field. He has seven All-Star nominations and five All-NBA nominations this decade. He has been to the playoffs in all but two seasons over this decade and even was a key part of two Spurs teams that finished second in the Western Conference in, I think, 15-16 and 16-17. He played in the Western Conference Finals in 2017 that is uh, memorably massively swayed by the Kawhi injury. Who knows what could have happened with a healthy Kawhi? I'm never going to count out that 2017 Warriors team. I think it might be the greatest team of all time. I'm also never going to count out playoff Kawhi. Teams have been five points better with him on the court. He's been durable. Um, he has discussed so little. He was seen by the media clearly in his All-NBA selections. He's a two-time second-team All-NBA as a borderline top 10 guys that guy for over half this decade. Um, he's a guy that can get a bucket whenever you want. He's impacted winning his entire career. Um, he's fun to watch. He's, by all accounts, a good teammate. You don't hear anything bad about him. Um, and I just, I just think it's ridiculous how little anyone has to say about LaMarcus Aldridge. Like, this is a guy that you are going to hear nothing from in 20 years. Um, yet, he's put together such a solid career in a great decade. And, um, yeah, he was, he was just the number one guy that I knew I wanted to, I wanted to be remembered um, in a totally different light than, than his trajectory. So, this is pretty funny because... I'm actually glad that I ended up going towards more of the perennial star guys because, and I guess you could argue Aldridge is in that tier, but he's not one of the defining players of the decade in the same way uh, Dame or Chris Paul is, because 
three of the guys that you have named are the first guys that I thought about for that criteria, and I think Aldridge is a great selection. The only reason I left him off is because I think you could kind of question his impact on winning at various points because teams seem to fare okay with or without him first chunks of his career, but as a scorer, absolutely elite, and I think... You know, he had a rejuvenation in the 17-18 season. He comes and averages 23 and eight and a half at 32 years old after it seemed like he had fallen off of an all-star level. He picks up without Kawhi and he was phenomenal and it didn't get covered in that same way. And then he's an all-star again the next season. So I think another guy who is going to end up as a relic of a bygone era because doesn't play anything like basketball is going to be played going forward. But yeah, LaMarcus Aldridge was consistently a top 15 player in basketball for at least five years there, and I think he's an excellent choice because he was a bucket getter and he was a great player. And I would think, I would say that on those playoff teams when Dame was really young, he was the better player of the two of them. And then really once he left, Dame took over. And he's one of those guys, he's one of the guys that you watch and when he gets a bucket, he's like with Dirk where it's just, what did he just do? That little Mm. step back where he doesn't jump at all out of the post. He, He just swings his pivot foot around jabs a few times, doesn't jump, and just kind of hucks in a little line drive. It's just, it's pretty fascinating to watch. It's like the Dirk, that's how this guy, you know, they molded their game so much to their body types and their athleticism or lack thereof in their cases. And it's just, I mean, it's amazing to watch um, someone orchestrate their offense like that. So I really like Lamar Sellers. Yeah, he was one of my favorite players to watch for a long time. I think it's a miracle that he shot 49% in his career because it's so many 20-footers right over people, and he had such a beautiful mid-range game. And I love Marcus Aldridge, so I'm glad that he got honored here on the list. My last guy is Jimmy Butler. And again, a lot of people acknowledge how good Jimmy Butler is, but he's just two-time third-team All-NBA. I think that that's pretty ridiculous. I think there are times in this career where he's been a clear top-10 guy. Look at some of his individual seasons. 16-17, he averages 24-6 and 5.5, carried a pretty weak roster to the playoffs, and then had a competitive six-game series against one-seeded Boston. It's just something that not a lot of guys in the league could do. 17-18 plus 13.7 on-off splits. And I think that this is a really telling stat. Since he became a starter, uh, Jimmy Butler teams win 59.8% of their games when he plays versus 43.1% without. So if your roster is not constructed well enough, Jimmy's a guy that can make up for some of those uh, deficiencies. But if he's not out there, you're going to suffer. That's the difference between a 49-win team average to a 35 win average and he's plus 6.6 on off for the decade and the only time that he missed the playoffs in 15-16 they won 42 games and they were actually 37 and 30 when he played which is a pretty convincing uh, playoff record they were 5 and 10 without him and I think back to you know when he joins Minnesota and they are a top three seed in the west and then they end up falling to the point where they have that play-in game with the Nuggets because Jimmy Butler got hurt he's just been the best player on so many teams this decade And I do value guys who are just always going to will you into the playoffs, like a Damian Lillard. Yes, they are not going to be the best player on a championship team, but if you can be the best player on a team that is uh, approaching contention, I think that that's really significant, and that is something that should be highly valued. And I do think, you know, he's not going to be forgotten within the next 10 years, but as we look 30 years down the road, I don't know what Jimmy Butler's legacy is, and I think he should be remembered as the winner and, and really all-around marvel as a playmaker, scorer, and defensive player that he was for his career. Yeah, I think the critique on Butler is going to be, yes, he always was making teams better, but there was always a ceiling on how good it was going to get, um, which might not be a fair criticism. I really like Butler. I would love to see him take a team to the next level, but I will say that I haven't seen him take a team mm. to the next level. So whether organizations underrated him, I'm not too sure because if I was in a position of power, I'd be a little bit skeptical if he was going to take me to the next level. Um, and then he does come with that baggage. But as a player, I absolutely think he's underrated. Um, people think because of his his attitude or his perceived attitude, at least, um, in, in his antics with the Minnesota practice and everything, that somehow he negatively impacts teammates. But pretty much everything shows that he just makes teammates yeah. better. He makes his team better. Um, he was obviously, as you mentioned, great in that 17-18 season um, with Minnesota, and who knows what would have happened in that in that playoff run if you know Cabin Wiggins hadn't played down the way they did. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, I think he's definitely an underrated guy. I think I do think the critiques about how far it can go are probably justified because you can't say something unless you've seen it, and we haven't really seen it with him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not 
really the type of guy that you want in those huge playoff moments. You're probably going to want someone else, um, even though you're, you you want him fighting your fight with you, but I don't know if you want him in that, that, that those last seconds. But I really like Jimmy. Um, yeah, and I like that pick. I completely agree. The ceiling, I think, is indisputable, but I just think he's won literally everywhere, and we're seeing it in Miami where that is a team that's really overachieving, and I think some people would pick him you know, to be a conference finals team, and I don't think there were a lot of people expecting that heading into the season. So let's move into our all overrated teams. Who's your first choice? So I did the same thing with these teams. I pretty much ignored stars. Um, the first guys that I would, would want to put on my list are Russell Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony. But mm-hmm. for me, like I, I, I always like to look up lists before I start these things because I don't want to miss anyone glaringly obvious mm-hmm. and embarrass myself on these podcasts. So I just like to see the first guy that comes up on, on lists. And it was always Westbrook and Carmelo. And I did, it just felt a little bit... First, a little bit too easy, and also they are great players. They're going to go down as all-time players, um, and they should be. I don't. I'm. I'm not going to. I'm. Gonna, I don't want to talk about them. They should be 40th all, all time instead of 30th. Mm-hmm. So my first guy was Vince Carter. Um, Vince is massively overrated. Um, he's he's known for his volume shooting pretty much in dunk heroics. Um, in the decade, he's averaging 9.8 points per game on 41% from the field for modern day wing. Um, he's a ball stopper. He hasn't been a part of pretty much anything special in this decade, aside from his game winning shot against the Spurs, um, in that playoff game when he was playing with the Mavericks. He's played on six teams this decade. That's never a good sign. Uh, he's mostly fiddled around with bottom tier teams. He doesn't pass the ball much, yet he shot under 40% from the field four separate seasons this decade. Um, and honestly, at this point, I don't really know why he's in the league anymore. Um, I will admit, um, he was impressive in his three seasons with the Mavericks. He was 35, it was eight from the age range of 35 to 37. He shot 39% from three, scored 12 points, played some meaning, uh, meaningful basketball. That's impressive for a 35 year old to do. Um, but he dragged out his career way too long and people repeatedly show his younger highlights where he was overrated in the first place and, and the dunk contest and all that stuff. And, I mean, he shouldn't be in the league. He's taking up a spot from a young guy that um, could deserve it. He he has no place being in the league anymore. Um, And for that reason, I just think he's completely overrated. I think he's overrated over his whole career. And I think he's especially overrated in this decade when he's really been a nobody. And he's still talked about more than some stars, some people like Devin Booker. Yeah, I like this choice. Vince Carter was a guy that I considered. And the reason that I left him off is because... I sort of feel the opposite. I feel like his career is more overrated in totality than it is this decade because I don't know if people ever really thought that he was a good basketball player this decade or if they just enjoy talking about him because of what they believe that he once was, which I think is an overrated image of what he was in the early 2000s where he really had, I mean, he had a phenomenal season, but he was never a guy that drove winning and there's a reason they underachieved in in New Jersey once he got there. So I'm anti-Vince Carter as far as his whole career, I think he gets overrated. And I think that he's still overrated within this decade because he shouldn't be talked about at all. He shouldn't be on an NBA roster for most of this decade. But I just don't think people think he's all that good. But I understand this. Yeah, and and a lot of it was for just, I mean, people, it's even the things like people talking about him as a mentor and all this stuff. And it's like, okay, so the guy you want mentoring Trey Young is the other volume shooter that refused to pass the ball yeah. his whole career and didn't impact winning? Like, that's yeah. the guy? And, and suddenly he's this, like, farewell tour, mentor, all-time great guy that's yeah. going to come in here and help out in Atlanta. And like, ah, maybe he's just trying to make a couple extra bucks. Yeah. Um, so I, he's rubbed me the whole way, the wrong way his whole career. But I agree with you. I, he would just be first on my list in the previous decade, too. Yeah. I think that that is a good point because people talk about him not only as a mentor but as you know a guy with playoff experience who can instill a culture or who can you know give you quality minutes in a big playoff game and he's not that guy. I mean he's 43 but even when he was 38 he wasn't that guy and his career has just been stretched out too long. So I'm not going to spend a ton of go- time on this guy but I have to have him here. You said that you left him off because he's too obvious. I can't have an all overrated list without putting Russell Westbrook on because been an all-star every year of the decade but 13-14 when he was injured and I listen I made literally an entire website essentially about why his MVP season is the most overrated of all time or the worst selection of all time and you can look at carsonbrever.wordpress.com to find that so I did a deep dive in that but I think it goes beyond that season he's been considered 
you know, I mean, there's still people, and yes, they're not smart basketball people by any means, but they're often a significant chunk of people who would argue he's the best point guard in basketball or a top three-point guard in basketball, which I just disagree with so fundamentally. People act like he's clutch, like he's a winning player. Career playoff shooting, 41% from the field, 30% from three. He's shot his teams out of so many games just by not understanding his strengths and weaknesses. And that's why I've enjoyed him a lot more in the second half of this Houston season because he's been empowered to emphasize his strengths, athleticism, get into the bucket, abusing smaller point guards down low, even in the post. And he's avoided the pull-up threes, which have just always been such a weakness of his game. I just think his defense so dramatically overrated this decade. One of the worst defensive guards in basketball who was somehow marketed as one of the best because he's athletic and he played a little defense when he was a young up-and-comer. He's eight-time All-NBA, which I just think when you compare that to guys like Dame, CP, he should not have more All-NBA selections than those guys. And so I just take so much issue with his career, how it's been represented. I think he is so dramatically overrated. And the fact that raw numbers... In this modern NBA era, when analytics are so prominent, when the eye test is telling you that he's just not as good as, you know, he's he's not averaging a legitimate 31, 11, and 10, and people just bought into that so convincingly, and he continues to live off of that season, and this quote-unquote dog mentality he has, and I don't know, people act like he gives 110% on every possession, but on one side of the ball, when he has the ball, he doesn't move without the ball, and these are things that have been true about him for this entire decade, so... That's all I have to say about that. I don't know if you have anything you want to add about Russ. We, I could go for a lot longer, but those are the the keynotes. Yeah, again, that's cardsandmember.wordpress.com yeah. <laughs> uh, for those of you in the back. Yeah. But uh, the only thing else I have to say about Russ, you went over everything that I could touch on, but the, the, the Westbrook defenders, the, the thing is that sticks out the most in his career for me was Durant leaving. And it's just, you guys had all, they had all the talent in the world to win that championship. And if Westbrook is as good as you think, Durant's not going, that that is just one star saying to another, you are not the type of guy that is going to raise us to a championship. Um, and it, it was clear that Kevin Durant wanted to go win a championship, and he picked these guys over that guy. So uh, for me, it's, it's little things like that that are a little bit telling. You know, PG leaving, KD leaving, just these guys saying, oh, this guy, I thought this guy was really great. People lift him up a lot. Oh, wait, he's not going to give me a good sh- shot to win a championship. Yeah. And that, that's the level that we're, you know, that's the level that we're judging these guys at. We're talking about really good players. So, you know, yeah. although he is that, um, th- that's where we need to start splitting the hairs. And he, he clearly isn't the type of guy that elevates teams to a championship level. Um, and he's regarded in, in that way. So, yeah. I, I agree. I also just think it's laughable how much credit he gets for these little adjustments he makes. When PG first came, he was taking like two less shots a game for a few weeks, and everyone was like, wow, look at that adjustment. He's letting PG be the guy. Yeah. And, and then he shoots yeah. 43 times or whatever it was in the playoffs, and they lose. And that's just the natural flow of a game. PG's yeah. a great scorer. Yeah. He takes more shots. Russell yeah. Westbrook doesn't have – it's not Russell Westbrook's choice. Yeah. It's not getting the ball as much. Yeah, so yeah. that's ridiculous. So who's your second guy? My second guy is DeAndre Jordan. Um I firmly believe that DeAndre Jordan owes Chris Paul half the money he makes every year for the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. I think he was the biggest benefactor from that Lob City Clippers team. Um, Paul and Griffin got this weird perception as stars who were underachieving the playoffs, had personality questions, all that stuff. And then Jordan was seen as the heroic, blue-collar, hardworking surprise um, for that Clippers team. And I just think he had the easiest job in the world. Um, it was clear after his time with the Clippers that he benefited from that great team, not from being a great player. He's been his effort has been questioned um, ever since leaving. He uh, this year he's sitting behind a young Jared Allen, who I'm not high on at all. Like mm. I, I think any decent center could beat out Jared Allen. I, th- I think Jared Allen needs to grow into his body a lot more. But who cares about Jared Allen? <laughs> um, in, in the decade, Jordan averaged 9.8 points and 11.2 rebounds. Um, he was a good defender, definitely, but I. He never seemed quite worthy to me of two first-team all-defense selections. I think that definitely overrated him. Um, he wasn't the type of guy that, I mean, to be fair, it wasn't, it wasn't the modern game, and, and this isn't as valued as much, but just in the pick-and-roll, he wasn't, he wasn't the type of like lateral mover that you, that you mm-hmm. really sought out for like you do now, and, and of course that still mattered. Um, and I think it was more just, I mean, he's an athletic freak, and people were funneling, yeah. funneling ball handlers into him. He was good around the rim. You know, he, he was good controlling his fouls and all that stuff. Um, so I don't want to take full credit away from him. I just think 
Um, looking at his accolades, it's ridiculous. Yeah. He sh- this a dude of this talent level should never be in an NBA All Star game. That's ridiculous. And then um, to give him the uh, the the two all uh, all defense selections, it just none of it seemed none of it seemed right to me, and and that's why I went with him. DeAndre Jordan is also on my list, and I think you made a great point. I think that where he was most overrated throughout his career was on the defensive end of the floor. And I went back. Because I remember watching him, and I always thought, okay, he blocks shots. A lot of the time, he either gets out of position by chasing blocks, and it's a lot like the Hassan Whiteside uh, play style where he, I don't know, isn't consistently making winning plays, and he's chasing the defensive stats. And I think he did the same thing with rebounds, where sometimes he was locked into his position just making sure he got that board. So I went back and I looked at the stats, and as a rim protector, he's basically just above average throughout his career. You could argue, yeah, I mean, he's above average. Of all people to defend at least four field goals a game at the rim per game, uh, and normally about 50-something people qualify for that per season, his highest rank ever in field goal percentage differential from the people who were shooting against him versus their normal field goal percentage at the rim was 20th. That's his highest ever out of 50-something. So he's just above average. His last three seasons, he's just not been a good basketball player. And I remember when he went to Dallas – uh, there was some Mavericks fan who, I don't know, I referred to him as like their third, as the Clippers' third best player from the season prior. He said he was clearly their best, and I was like, all right, we'll see how that goes. And shocker, he didn't perform because he's just not all that good. And, I mean, he was first-team All-NBA one year. DeMarcus Cousins was never first-team All-NBA at center. Joel Embiid hasn't been first-team All-NBA at center. Blake Griffin, his teammate, was never first-team All-NBA. And the fact that he got that honor, I think he's a clear-cut choice, one of the easiest, in my opinion. So... He's both of our second. Who's your third? My third guy is the youngest guy that I put in either of my list um, by far, and it's Kuzma. <laughs> Kyle Kuzma, I don't understand what the hell is happening with this guy, but he's gone originally from the underdog um, end of the first round pick that played with Lonzo in the summer league and looked promising to a seemingly future superstar, I guess, in the eyes of some, and now to a very valuable trade asset. Um, in regards to his perception all over the league. Um, and I'm and I'm not sure there's a more overrated NBA player as we speak right now. He His career, he put up garbage stats on two below-average Lakers teams, and now he's struggled to find his footing on a legitimate winning basketball team. Um, he was originally dubbed as their third star over the offseason, and he's now scored 12 points a game on under 30% shooting from three. Uh, combine all that with his questionable basketball IQ, his shaky defense, it makes for a pretty average bench player. Um, for a pure scorer, his usage rate was in the 83rd percentile this year, but um, his points per shot attempt rating is in the 16th percentile. His effective field goal percent percentage has been trending down his entire career. He's in like the bottom 25% of the league, and that too. Um, he still hasn't played a minute of playoff basketball. So... I just don't. I understand that people are starting to lay off it a little bit. Definitely, smart media members are are accepting that the hype is is way overrated. But the amount of times that I see Kuzma's name yeah. places, or see posts of him, or see highlight videos of him, I mean, if you watch it, Lakers basketball, he's an average bench player. Yeah, he's a totally average bench player. So he's not on the tier of these other guys where a lot of them were thought to be stars that aren't stars or they're superstars that are clearly not on that tier. But he's a guy that just for three years, people have thought he's like 40% better than what he is. Um, And it's literally just because he's on the LA Lakers. Yeah. So I couldn't leave him off my list because it pisses me off so much. Lakers players are overrated. That's just what happens. I think that they ended up keeping the least talented of all their young talents when you're talking about Julius Randle, D'Lo, even Lonzo is now a significantly better NBA player than Kuzma, I would say. And part of what's fascinating about... Yeah, and Ingram, of course. Part of what's interesting about Kuzma is I did not expect him to have the NBA success that he has because in Utah he was playing out of the post and that's just the way, you know, it was a slow it down, grind it out system. And I did not see that projecting well to the NBA. But then you look at what happens in Summer League where, I mean, he's a transition scorer. He was kind of a rim runner at times, and now it's ISO over and over again. He's just an ugly three-point shooter. He's around 30% in each of the last two seasons, and the athleticism, 
the ability to attack and transition, the ability to be a catch-and-shoot threat. These were the things that made him intriguing, despite the fact that he, you know, was an abysmal playmaker from the jump. He wasn't going to crush it on the boards. He was not all that defensively, just because he doesn't really have the physical tools or the mentality to compete on that end. All of the offensive bright spots have faded away. And so now, yeah, I mean, he's massively overrated. He shouldn't be talked about really at all because he's just not a very good basketball player. And I don't know, the discussion about him being a third guy for the Lakers coming into this season, obviously people were questioning him as the third guy. And now he's not even close to their third best player, no matter what the scoring numbers say. So my third guy is another current LA Laker, Ivor John Rondo. And... Uh, Rondo is a guy who I think now people are really starting to get up to speed on how much of a negative he's been for the Lakers this year. But the reason I think that Rondo is overrated, it's not just the 2008 title. I think part of what enhances his his image is in the 2012 playoffs, he averaged 17, 7, and 12, and they pushed LeBron in the heat to seven games. He was third team All-NBA. That's his only NBA selection. I think the fact that he was their best player in that playoff run when the other three were, you know, comfortably past their primes, that made people think he was better than he actually was on the 08 team, when he was really young and was, I mean, a clear fourth best guy, like a huge drop drop off between him and Ray Allen. Since that 2012 playoffs, eight straight seasons, his teams have been worse with him on the floor, which, I mean, is such a telling statistic, right? You can have maybe a weird season where, you're, where your team is better without you. Eight straight years, that's telling you something. And we always hear about playoff Rondo. He's a guy that you want in the playoffs. And that started, in large part, I think, maybe because of the 2012 playoffs. Also, I think because of the two playoff games that he had against the Celtics when the Bulls were the eight seed and they won those first two and then he got hurt. But he's played in 13 playoff games since 2012. So are you going to give him a roster spot when, you know, it's not like he's a guy that's going to take you to the playoffs. And I've always thought that his assist numbers are a little bit inflated. Like, he's not the passer that Chris Paul or LeBron are. He's a guy that, he's an assist hunter is how I'd put it, because he dribbles the hell out of the ball and will take an entire possession just trying to get an assist. And so I don't think that it comes with it. Like, or Ricky Rubio is a better example. A guy who will always just, or Kyle Lowry, these guys who make the extra pass, make the winning pass. Rondo is trying to make the pass directly to the score so he gets that tallied on the assist sheet every single time. And I just think, there's a reason Dallas, Sacramento, Chicago, the Pelicans, they all bailed after one year. And you better believe that if LeBron James was not on the Lakers, they would have done the same. And he would not be in the rotation right now. Certainly not above Alex Caruso. So Rondo for me was an easy choice. He had one defining moment and was on a great team when he was super young. And it has just, uh, you know, put a rosy tint on his entire career thereafter. Yeah, Rondo's on my list too. It was a pretty easy choice for me. Just... I totally, I think you hit the nail on the head with he's an assist hunter. He doesn't have that methodical feel that someone like Chris Paul does, who's just, he's playing chess while other people are playing checkers. He's more, he knows what spot he wants to get to where someone else is going to be in the exact spot where he can get that assist. It's less Chris Paul just deceiving anyone and then playing off, um, playing off other people's actions. And, uh, yeah, I just – I think it's ridiculous that he's been able to find starting jobs yeah. for the past five years. Yeah. Like, teams have given him legitimate starting spots until this year when he started games this year, too. Mm-hmm. Like, um, yeah, count me out on this decade, Rondo. I think – I also think, like, the people talking about his great basketball mind, how he's going to be a great coach, maybe he's good with the X's and O's. I, I'm, I'm sure he is. It seems like people talk about that a lot. He would be a shit coach, yeah. in my opinion. I, I think he cares way too much about – um, stats, I think he cares way too much on about doing things exactly the way he wants to do them instead of playing within the flow of the game. And we've just, uh, we've seen over and over again that those like Barker, Exodus and O's specific driven coaches aren't, aren't, aren't working out. So I, I, I don't like Rondo's coach. I don't like Rondo as a player. Um, and I don't like how he's rated. So he was on my list too. I think that's a great point about the coaching potential for him because he just strikes me as so stubborn. And incredibly stubborn people usually don't make for great coaches. So I guess I'll move on to my fourth guy since we both had Rondo. I had Carmelo Anthony. You mentioned him as a guy that you thought was another obvious selection along with Westbrook. But I think that, I mean, I don't know. He's just mentioned in tears that he doesn't belong in. It's like him, D-Wade, and LeBron. And there's a reason that two of those guys have been best players on championship teams. Obviously, no one thinks he's as good as LeBron. And no one thinks he's as good as D-Wade. But the fact that he's in those conversations when his career says... 
He's really Alex English. I mean, that's who he is. He is Alex English. He's Adrian Dantley. He's guys that put up big scoring numbers on decent teams for their entire career. And that's even more true in the 2010s and in the 2000s because they did make the Western Conference Finals in 2009. They were hovering around 50 wins for a few years in Denver. In the 2010s, though, he's one-time second-team All-NBA, one-time third-team. And that feels about right to me. That is not the way that he is discussed. He has a losing record in this decade, and he's never really impacted winning as he's transitioned into the latter half of his career because he's just this ball-dominant ISO guy who's not exceptionally efficient, who doesn't do anything else for you on the basketball court. In 2010-11, when he got traded midseason, the Nuggets won a higher percentage of their games without him, their supposed superstar, and then the next season pushed the Lakers to seven in the playoffs. And if you look at Melo's decade, he only made the playoffs in three seasons as the guy for his team and won one combined game in two of those series. And then his 12-13 season, it's like he's immortalized when he made the second round. And yes, he won a scoring title, and that was a great season overall. But there was a spot for some team to step up and compete with the Heat in the Eastern Conference in that era after the Celtics faded away. And the Pacers filled it, and Carmelo Anthony and the Knicks did not. And I think that if you're going to ask people for the most part, you know, who has had the better career— Nine out of ten people say Carmelo Anthony just off the top of their head, but he just never impacted winning in that way. And in the playoffs, he's 40% from the field, 28% from three for OKC, where he was unplayable. And that, to me, was the nail in the coffin, where he's marketed as this third star, and he just wasn't that. He was such a tremendous negative to that team. And he also has two legitimate seasons where he played a majority of games, and his teams were worse with him on the floor by on-off, and that just happens so rarely for legitimate superstars. So I just think his scoring numbers elevated him into this tier that he doesn't belong in. And as his career progresses, I am not sure if the fact that he'll always be associated with that 2003 draft class will make him remembered as more of an Alex English kind of guy, which is really, I think, without you know social media and narrative driving his career, that's what, in New York, that's what he should be remembered as. Yeah, he's... He's definitely the first person people should think of when they yeah. think of this this century um, overrated players. Um, one of the things with me that that people think he's people think he's cheated in a way, and I think a lot of it spreads from the social media uh, that he puts out of him working out all the time yeah. and being such a grinder. But I heard on the Bill Simmons Book of Basketball podcast, which we both listened to, Chad Ford came on with, for 2003 redraftables, and I don't want to just regurgitate his story, but he pretty much said that in a pre-draft meeting with Melo, Melo had so many off-the-court concerns and attitude concerns that they didn't run it because it would have ruined Melo. Yeah. And he, he didn't fully disclose what was what it was about, but it's, it's like, why are we why are we elevating this guy? Yeah. Like, I don't want to say he's a bad guy, but I mean, from the accounts I've heard, other than these videos of him working out, I don't think he's that much of a grinder. I don't yeah. think he's very selfless. Yeah. I don't, you know, and I understand LeBron loves him, CP loves him, Wade loves him, whatever. And I'm sure he's a personable, fun guy to be with. But yeah. when we're looking at NBA players, I just, you know, I can, I, I can afford to overrate someone who's a grinder and I really liked and I'll let myself be biased. But someone like this who had attitude concerns... Uh, selfishness concerns. I don't, you know, I don't want any part in it, and that's that's what makes it all the more frustrating with him. And he he absolutely deserves to be on this list. And I think that he has the Knicks effect in the same way that Kuzma has the Lakers effect. It's you know, you look back to the '80s. Who's remembered more, Bernard King or Alex English? Bernard King. Bernard King's prime, and obviously injury has a huge part to play in that. But Alex English was the leading scorer of the '80s for a reason. Same reason that Ewing is talked about with. Akeem and David Robinson, and yes, Ewing was a great player. There's a reason he was the best player on a finals team, but New York players just get overrated in the same way. So let's move on. Who is your last guy for the all-overrated team? My last guy was 2010's Ray Allen. Um, I just think in the 2010s, he's disproportionately talked about as a guy any playoff contender would want on their team, um, and that's not what he was. He, he scored a pretty efficient 13 points in these in the five years that he did play in this decade, but his on-off numbers are staggering near the end. Um, he was even in the 8th percentile in on-off di differential in 2012-13, which is a year he's remembered so fondly as maybe the best bench player in the league because he hit the shot against the Spurs. And um, I'm not saying his career is overrated, although I, I haven't loved Allen in the past, 
but he there were a few years where he didn't he didn't deserve to be talked in the tier that he was um he was spoken in and I just think he becomes misrepresented when talking about those Miami teams is this maybe like fourth star but if you look at his playoff numbers playoff on off numbers his his regular season numbers he wasn't there um and of course he's going to be able to hit threes throughout his entire career but I don't, the way he's talked about it, the way the decision to move to Miami is talked about is this huge deal. I don't think he was that good of a player. Um, he wasn't that great of a defender in the latter part of his career. And just just everything about how he's represented in the 2010s kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And I think it all stems from the shot in 2013, which erased a few bad playoff years for him. That is an awesome selection. And another guy who I think is tremendously overrated, not just in this decade, but in his career. Because, I mean, everyone talks about, oh, young Ray Allen could get buckets. He could. So many guys have been able to score in this league. And they were not on winning teams. Oh, one, they make the Eastern Conference Finals. That's the only time they were ever remotely a contender with Ray Allen as their best guy. I think that there was a big drop-off between him and Paul Pierce as the second best guy on that 08 team. And, yeah, there's a reason that there was a nine-point-per-game drop-off for him in scoring that year. But we're not even talking about that decade. I completely agree. He just flat-out wasn't that good in the 2010s. He was... You know, he was a good bench player, but that shot has immortalized him in a way that it should not have. I yeah. don't think he's a top 10 shooting guard of all time. I left him off my list in that regard, and I think that most people would be shocked at that notion. Yeah. I think that his two rings are way overstated in his legacy overall because how many guys couldn't win a ring as, first of all, a sixth man or even as the third guy on that 07-08 team? I think that there are tons of players to like. Reggie Miller couldn't do that? Ray Allen has something over Reggie Miller? I mean, yes, he has something over Reggie Miller because he did that. Reggie Miller is much better because of everything else Reggie Miller did, though. So I completely agree. I think that's a great choice. Yeah, and I think people people don't even remember he was a bench player on those heat teams. They think yeah. that he was, like, part of this, you know, like, yeah. four-headed dragon. In the, no, like, he, he was... He was delegated to the bench, and he wasn't that great at it. So, uh, yeah, I, I I think he absolutely deserved to be on one of our lists. So, my last guy is going to be another UConn alum joining Ray Allen. I have Andre Drummond, who... Such an easy choice for me. He's a two-time All-Star. I think he's one of the worst multiple-time All-Stars in NBA history. He was All-NBA in 15-16. This is a guy who has essentially had no impact on team success throughout his career. And that's what the numbers suggest as well. He has a on-off split of plus 0.3 points per 100 possession throughout his career. That's negligible. That's zero. His teams are the same with or without him. And in half his seasons, they have actually been worse with him on the floor. In 16-17, the Pistons were 11.6 points per 100 worse with him on the floor. It's an abysmal number. It suggests that you are a serious negative to team success. And I think this happens a lot with guys who put up big rebounding numbers. They get overrated as defensive players. Andre Drummond is not a, especially not as his career has progressed, a dynamic athlete. He was younger when he could throw down some cool dunks, but he's never been a great rim protector. He's never been all defense for a reason. And in fact, in over half of his seasons, players have shot above their average field goal percentage against him, which would tell you, and again, that's only one metric, but at the very least, he's hovering right around an average defensive player. He's had a couple seasons where he's been better than that, but for the most part, He's not a guy that impacts the game on that side of the floor. And I would say he's a negative on offense because he's a black hole down there. He's not a dynamic rim runner. As I've mentioned, he has done nothing to expand his offensive game except for occasionally huck up what I have to assume is like almost a joke three because he misses them by more than anyone else in the NBA. He's never developed as a playmaker out of the post. He has no vision there. And I do remember, I guess it was 17-18, he improved defensively and his assist numbers were up for a little bit. And then he just went right back down to normal. And I think, I mean, he just shouldn't be talked about really at all. And the fact that people still think he's a guy that can swing team results, I would never in a million years sign Andre Drummond because why would I pay him $30 million when I can pay so many guys $5 million to do essentially the same thing and with less of the negatives? Because I could get a JaVale McGee or a Dwight Howard, better rim protectors, better rim runners, uh don't have the notion that they deserve touches out of the post and like just so many things raw rebounding numbers don't actually matter that much so Drummond for me was an easy choice yeah he's he's definitely overrated based on based on accolades and, and the attention he gets the one thing I will say about Drummond is I think I'm a believer that Drummond on the right team c could play championship basketball I think we saw in the 
2018-19 season, which is one of the few seasons in his career that Detroit didn't just play trash ball. Yeah. Um, which, it's underrated. These kids are coming out of college, and you immediately put them in these systems that yeah. are terrible for their development. You know, so, so I think it is fair to say that we should judge, we should put more of an emphasis on this year when they're playing basketball that, that um, is watchable mm-hmm. with Blake Griffin. And he was plus 9.5. They're 9.5 points better yeah. with him on the court. He was plus 2.8 on the court, but 9.5 better with him on the court. And so he's a guy that I, I really think, uh, obviously, no one's taking the contract. But yeah. if you could get him for less money, I do, like I, I told you about this earlier, I think on the Celtics, he would be great. Because yeah. I genuinely do think if you give him coaching and instruction and don't let him roam free, he can be really impactful. But they've just let him roam free, and he's just done what he wants, and he sucks at it. And then, yeah. you know, and, and then the media has overrated him because of it. So, absolutely, looking at his career in a vacuum right here, he is overrated. But I do think, I, I genuinely believe he could revive his career a little bit because I think his skill set is absolutely valuable in the league if used in, you know, yeah. in, in, in ways that will um, benefit both him and the team. Yeah, I think that the Celtics is a great situation for him, but I just think he's just, I don't know, he doesn't exactly fit into the modern NBA. He's not switchable defensively in the same way that other guys are. He's not dynamic as a rim protector or a rim runner. So I'm just low on him. I've always been low on him. And yeah, I'm not an Andre Drummond guy. He's also averaging 3.6. You're not an Andre Drummond guy? I'm not an Andre Drummond guy. And he's averaging 3.6 turnovers a game this year, which I don't even understand how he's doing that. He just gets way too many touches. And I'm out on him. So... That's going to do it for us here today. Uh, this was definitely, you know, we did deviate a little bit with our criteria, but I think we ended up covering all the bases because of it. And we agreed, I would say for the most part, even if we didn't have guys on our list. So that's going to do it for us. I've been Carson Brower. Carvel Teft was alongside me today and hope you enjoyed.